Let's get rolling. We are going to talk about again today. We've been focused on the idea of what God is doing. What happened to the power of God? Where's he at? Where did he go? Why is he not moving today? We were talking about this morning. God is still moving today, guys. We have heard miraculous things. What just happened in Hamburg? And we're going to tell the story, not today necessarily, but a woman was dead for 40 minutes and now is alive and is at home. Like, moving along. I mean, praise the Lord for that kind of stuff. We, we see miracles. We hear about God moving all the time. The problem is in our culture is, one, we don't hear about it enough. That's part of the problem. And the other part of it is, is as soon as we hear about anything miraculous, we quickly try to find some excuse to explain it away. We can't just accept it. Basically, that it can't be God unless we can ex- can't explain it any other way. When you look through the scriptures and stuff like that, even in these, um, we'll talk about manna today as an example, okay? But one of the, the things that all of these writers in these uh, different books that I've got, I've got thousands of books, um, that as I'm studying this out, are trying to figure out how did manna appear? And they say, oh, there's this insect and it must have bitten into this plant and excreted this thing, and it created... They're trying to find a natural explanation for it. As you're going to see, it says that it was bread from heaven. Right? But we have to explain it away. We have to take the supernatural out of the Bible, because otherwise it's just too weird. There's just things in the Bible that doesn't make sense. That donkeys talk, that axe heads float, that virgins are having babies. That people come back from the dead. We have to explain all of that away. Because if it's supernatural, then it's not natural. And if it's not natural, then it can't be real. And unfortunately, that mantra, that idea has crept into the church today. And now has taken over and taken root. Because my goodness, heaven forbid that we believe the same God that's written about in the Bible. Heaven forbid that. So, as we're getting into this day, let's start at Psalm 103. Verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now, what is David doing? He's worshiping Him. As we sing, I exalt Thee. Holy You are holy, holy, holy. And this is worship. David is worshiping Him. Forget not His benefits. He forgives your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the God of the Bible. The God who forgives our sins. The God who heals our diseases, our sickness. The one who crowns us. The one who redeemed us. The one who satisfies us. You will find no satisfaction in anything outside of Christ. Everything else might satisfy temporarily. You ever been on a diet, and then you broke that diet? It's satisfying during that breaking portion. And as soon as you're done, you're like, oh, why did I do that? Like, things you shouldn't do is go to Golden Corral while you're on a diet, because you're going to get the salad bar. No, you're not. That's a lie. It's just not going to happen. What's that? Oh, yeah, the, the hot rolls and dipping them in ice cream. You guys wonder why I look the way I do, right? Okay. Anyway, but guys, there's something satisfying temporarily, but nothing that can bring joy and satisfaction like Christ can. There's a completeness in Christ, and that's what this is talking about. The forgiveness, the healing, the redemption, the crowning, the satisfaction is only found in Him. And as we begin to look at this and unturn these rocks, we started in Isaiah 53, verse 4. It says, Surely He has borne our griefs, and He's carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. 
Now, we haven't finished breaking down this verse. We've been going piece by piece through it. But the bottom line here is we obviously see that there is a substitute that is taking the place of our of us because he's born he's taken upon himself our griefs he's carried for us our sorrows they're both ours our griefs our sorrows he's wounded for our transgression he was bruised for our iniquities and by his stripes we are healed you see all of this is on Jesus, the, the substitutionary atonement, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was upon Him, and it is by Him and through Him that we have the benefits that's talked about in Psalm 103. Now, as I told you, when you break this down in the Hebrew, looking even into the Greek, you see that griefs and sorrows means sickness and pains. It's the same thing, that He's taken our sickness away. We saw in Matthew chapter 8 where Matthew says as he was healing all of those who were oppressed of the devil that he said he did this so that he might fulfill surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. There's this idea of healing that goes along with the work of Jesus. But how and but why? Because when we see by his stripes we are healed we instantly assume this must be talking spiritual. It must be just talking about the redemption of mankind. There is truth to that. But Jesus makes a clear distinction. In Luke 22, verse 19, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them. And then he makes this statement. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. So what is he saying? He's saying this bread is my body. It's given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So we got two distinct parts that are going on here. And we're tying this in to Passover because Passover was the feast that was going on right then. We know that that cup after supper was the third cup in the Passover meal. In the Seder, it was called the cup of redemption. So that cup is being poured out for us and we do that as a remembrance to what he did. Why do we do that? Why do we have what we call communion? It is because that all through the scriptures, there were always things that they had to do as a remembrance to the work that the Lord has done. They would create altars, they would create memorials, they pile up rocks. That way, when your children ask you, what happened? Well, this is where uh, God drove us out of Egypt. He brought us out of Egypt and took us into the promised land. All these things are going on constantly so they can remember the goodness of God. Every time that we take communion together, we're doing it in remembrance that His body was broken for us and that His blood was shed for our benefit. Now, with that, we need to know well, what is entailed in there. We read this last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. So Paul is getting on to the Corinthian church, the church of Corinth here. For, for first of all, when you come together as a church. Okay, now, let me clarify this. Does the church come together? Yes. Is the church where they meet? No. This building houses the church today. This has nothing to do with it. There is nothing holy about this building except what is in it. Us, right? So the paint colors, the carpet, all of that doesn't matter. We can argue about it. We can pick what we want. doesn't make any difference because this isn't what Jesus died for. He died for the church, which is his body, us. All right? So when we come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Can you imagine? Now this is going to be shocking, all right? Bear with me here. That... People coming together as the church have disagreements on what should happen in the church. Who would have ever guessed that? That never happens, right? So oh, is there anything new under the sun? Of course not. 
right? I have watched, and I've, I've said this before, I have seen church splits over what color to paint the building, over what carpet or tile or wood floors that they should get. I told you guys, I've, I think I've said this before, but when they were building out the last church I was, they were remodeling because they'd outgrown it. They were doing two or three services, and I mean, they had people standing on the side. They needed more space, so they expanded it. And because the room was so much bigger, instead of having a single screen, they went to three screens so that everybody could see. And there were some people that got mad and said, listen, if you put three screens up, I'm not coming back to this church. What difference does three, four, ten, a hundred, who cares, right? It's just a thing. If this is where the Spirit of God is moving, be content, whatever. I mean, it may not be your, your cup of tea. That's fine. But we move on. So yes, there was divisions among them when they came to church. No shock there. For there must also be factions among you that those who approve may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. What did he just say? When you come together, that's not why you're here. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Paul is dropping the hammer on these guys. So in other words, they were coming together, not in a spiritual do this in remembrance of me. They were coming to grab a bite to eat. Eat at home. Come here. This is part of our worship. This is why we do this. We're not here to get fed. We are here to worship. And it goes on in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he just, we just read this a minute ago, right? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, his return. Okay? Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You notice a distinction. There's the body of the Lord and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So he's laying out a foundation. One, quit fighting over this. Two, don't come here to eat. This is part of our worship. Three, check yourself. Now, I will explain that at another time, but the bottom line is this. There was a result that was happening at the fact that they were not taking this seriously, that they were weak, that they were sick, and that they were dying. And Paul is saying it is a result of the way that they are taking what we call communion. So there's a consequence here. Not discerning the Lord's body. Now, what does that have to do with anything? What we are getting here is looking at the distinction between the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. 
because he made a distinction. This isn't something that we're putting on here. He made the distinction. We know that the blood being poured out is what redeemed mankind. It's the blood of the Lamb. At Passover, when they were getting ready to do the first one, getting ready to exit Egypt, that they had to take the blood of the Lamb and apply it. If they didn't apply it, the angel of death would not pass over. He would go in and he would kill the firstborn, firstborn everything. But if that blood was applied, then they would pass over and they would be saved, saved, spared, whatever you want to say. The bottom line is this, it was all about the application of the blood. But here's what's interesting, is that the bread, if you haven't picked up on this, and you, we've taught on the feast before, the bread really is the central focus of Passover. Now, certainly the lamb has a major part to it. Without the lamb, there is no Passover. But if you study and you look at this, look how important the bread is. It's key. There's different things they do with the bread. There's all of that, and which is interesting. Now, Jesus is saying that this is my body, this bread. This is a Passover meal he's eating. This is my body. It is broken for you. We've got to figure out what that means. So we jumped into John chapter 6, verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. What's he talking about? He fed the 5,000 there. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. What signs is he talking about? Remember what Jesus has been doing up to that point. There are multiple signs. Healing the sick, death, raise. I mean, all this stuff has been going on and the signs of the Messiah. But you're here because you ate the bread. You notice he didn't say the fish. He said you ate the loaves. Now, remember, we talked about that word loaves, that word bread. It's the same word that's used for manna in Exodus. Now, let's go on here. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there in their disciple, they got into the boats and followed him to Capernaum and said, Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to them, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, what's he talking about? The work. What, what do we need to do to make this happen? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. What must one do to be saved, to be right with God? They believe in him. Therefore, they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, this is a very powerful statement, right? Because he is saying that the bread, as we said last week, is Jesus, right? The bread is Jesus. It says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. The bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
So he's making a comparison here between the man and himself. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, for he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. And the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? They're not tracking because they know where he comes from. Jesus said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is a quote out of Jeremiah talking about the new covenant, that your brother will no longer teach your brother. You don't have to teach your neighbor that God will lead them to him. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh that I shall give for the life of the world. So here he says it again. The bread is my flesh. The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up that last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said at the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, Bold statement here. Obviously, this sounds like cannibalism, and that is not what Jesus is talking about. But he is making an analogy between the bread being his body, the blood being his, uh, uh, the wine that's being drank there, his blood being poured out, that we have to eat the bread and we have to drink the wine, and that is where we come together, and we do this in remembrance of him. It's all tying in together. This bread is the manna. So therefore, to understand that how by his stripes we are healed, knowing that the stripes were in his body, he says his body was broken for us, then we have to turn and look at what manna is. Because if, obviously Jesus is making an analogy here, going back into the Old Testament saying, listen, that bread came down from heaven. This bread came down from heaven. So we have got to understand what this manna is. Because if we don't, we are not going to understand how this is the bread of life. So in order to understand manna, we have to go to Exodus chapter 16. And they journeyed from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So, remember, the second month that they left. So we had the month that they left, which is the first month of the year. So we are one month later, because we know it was the 14th of Nisan that they took the Passover, and the 15th of Nisan that they would leave. 
Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So what are they being moved by? Their stomachs. Listen, we may have been in slavery. And they may have beat us, probably killed a few of us. They were really in control of our lives. But we were eating pretty good. We weren't all bad. Just shows you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. Okay. Now, did we not just see Jesus make that same statement? I am the bread from heaven. So one of the things that we know manna by, that it is the bread from heaven. And did Jesus say the same thing about him? Yes, he did. All right? And the people should go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my laws or not. Now, what is he talking about here? This is that manna is a test of them. Will they be obedient to the amount that they are to take? And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. That always cracks me up when he says that, is if they didn't know that it was the Lord. But remember what happens. They build the golden calf and say, This is the God that brought us out. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. And the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the will. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Remember, fire by day or night, cloud by day. They're seeing the glory of the Lord inside of this cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. And so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. So how did this happen? We see the frost that was on the ground, and when that frost burned off, here was left this manna. And this is where all those really smart people that write all those really expensive thick books say there's this insect that must have eaten this, and when the dew lifted, it left behind some remnants, okay? Now, the word manna actually means, what is it? They didn't know. It was something that they had not seen, not experienced. In fact, nobody had experienced it before, and nobody had experienced it after this, right? Now, and Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat, verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, let every man... Together, gather it according to each one's needs, one omer for each person, which is about half a pound. It's not very big. According to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who had gathered much had nothing left over, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms, and it stank, and Moses was angry with them. 
So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So the dew lifts, the frost lifts, here it is, they go in to gather it. What happens if they take too much and they try to store it for the next day? It rots, it stinks, it, it melts. So what is going on here? They had the provision every day. Give us this day our daily bread. That is what Jesus is talking about. They had to count every day that God was going to provide for them. So no matter how much they tried to hoard, no matter how much they had tried to store up, it didn't make any difference because it wouldn't last. So, let's start at verse 22. And so it was on the sixth day that they had gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning and Moses commanded and it, and it did not stink nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So are they passing the test? No, remember, they're t God is testing them. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in this place. Let no man go out of this place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like a white coriander seed, and it taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, so we see that it was white, obviously. It's the size of a coriander seed. And then when they made the wafers out of it, it was sweet like honey. Okay? So we're getting all the descriptions here telling us about what this manna was. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it. Keep it for your generations that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness and when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generation. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. We don't care about that part necessarily. So what happens? Aaron was to take it, fill it with a pot. What is the testimony? It's the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. They would place that inside of there. There was a reminder. Now there were three things that were in there. The Ten Commandments, the budding rose of Aaron, uh, excuse me, the budding uh, staff of Aaron, and then, of course, this manna. So, it was all a reminder. Now, we see a lot about it. We see all these different descriptions. We see that it was like a coriander seed. That when they made the wafers, it was sweet. It tasted like honey. We see that it was frost that would lift and then it would be there. They see that on the seventh day, it wasn't there because they were resting. They weren't supposed to gather anymore. Now, let's turn over to Psalm 78, verse 24. Had rained down, this is talking about what God had done. You're kind of getting a synopsis of what God had done for the nation of Israel. In verse 24, he had rained down manna on them to eat and given them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. So now we see another description that is angels' food. I thought angels didn't have to eat. Well, they don't. But we also see when angels appear as man, they often broke bread with the people that were there. All right? Now, here's another passage. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. 
Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to a tense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the flesh which we ate freely, or the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. So now it's no longer good enough. All they want all that other stuff. Now the manna was like coriander seed, it's, it, and its color like the color of delium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones and beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans and made cakes of it, and its taste was like the taste of a pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. So we see a little bit more. Delium is kind of this whitish, yellowish color. Um, Another place talks about how this stuff, when it came down, they would take it, that it would actually have stripes on it. You see some of that in some of the ancient literature. It had these little, little stripes on it. It doesn't say this here. But how did they use it? Well, they had to grind it. They had to put it in a mortar, and they had to beat it. Because if they didn't do that, you just got all this stuff here, you had to turn it into something. So we see that it tastes like cakes made with oil. The oil that they had had a little sweet texture to it. Okay, now let's look at another one. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you will, may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. Now, this is Moses. Deuteronomy is Moses' last hoorah. Say, listen, people, this is what I need you to do because he's getting ready to die. And you shall remember the Lord your God who led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, he allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might uh, make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Okay? So, we see, this has been quoted in the New Testament, right? Jesus used that in Matthew chapter 4. But what do we see here? They were hungry as a test, testing whether they would be obedient to God, so he fed them with manna. But what do we know? Nobody else prior to this had ever seen or experienced this. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastened his son, so the Lord your God chastened you. Therefore, you should keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in its ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs to flow out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs and, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of those uh, out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, well, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. But beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and you dwell in them, and when your herds uh, and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. 
See, they're getting ready to go into the promise that was given to Abraham, go into the land to take the land, and all these good things are already there. But what he's telling them is never forget who's brought you here. Never forget who sustained you, who gave you that daily bread, who gave you life, that made your foot not swell, made your clothes not wear out. I mean, he is the one that sustains us. He is the one that has given us life. Don't forget him. So we see here that this manna, again, is the life-giving bread. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, the last thing that we see here in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So it was when the king of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the king of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So they're freaking out because God had dried up the Jordan so that they could cross it. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and he circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised. But all the people who were born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. To whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he had raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stand, stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Now, there's a lot going on here, but the manna stops when they enter into the promised land. Now, they're in the promised land, but they had not conquered the promised land. But what we see here is a lot that's going on is that all of this has to tie in to the promise that God had made. He made a promise to Abraham that his people would have a land of their own. He'd make him the father of many nations. He told him that these people would be in Egypt for 430 years, at which time that they would exit. They had the opportunity to go into the promised land immediately, but they did not believe the report of Joshua, because there was two that said, yeah, we can do this. There were 10 that said, no, that we can't. And the people said, oh, we can't go in there. It's full of giants. We are but grasshoppers in their sight. And so they didn't get to enter into the promised land. Moses didn't get to enter the promised land. Because instead of speaking to the rock to bring out water, he struck it. So we have this going on. Now, why did they take time to circumcise the boys and the men? Because what is that a big deal? Well, in order to be into the covenant of Abraham and the covenant of Moses, one must be circumcised. Therefore, you're getting in, ready to enter into the land that was promised to Abraham. You must put yourself underneath this covenant. The covenant of Moses is the covenant in which uh, David talks about that bless the Lord, O my soul. It was a conditional covenant between God and Israel. And they said that if you keep my commandments, then I will be your God. You'll be my people. You will be blessed. If not, you'll be cursed. Do you want to do it? They said yes. So all of this is going on. And the second they enter into this place, the manna stops. 
So as soon as they're in the promised land, they no longer needed the bread from heaven. Okay? Now, let's look at this one more spot here before, before we wrap this thing up. In Psalm 105, verse 23, it says, Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. He increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and, and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they did not rebel against his word. He turned their waters into blood, and he killed their fish. Their land abounded with frogs, even in the chambers of the kings. He spoke, and there came a swarm of flies and lice in all the territory. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in the land. He struck their vines also in their fig trees and splintered the trees of their territory. He spoke, and locusts came, young locusts without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. So, again, what are we seeing here? We're seeing the... Uh, specifics of the Passover, getting ready to lead Israel out of Egypt. And remember that these were all judgment against the gods of Egypt. He was bringing this, showing that Yahweh is greater than they. Verse 37, he also brought them out with silver and gold. There was none feeble among his tribes. What does feeble mean? Sick. None of them were sick. Egypt was glad when they had departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give them light at night. Then people asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Then, look at this last part. He opened the rock, and water gushed out, and it ran in the dry places like a river. Now, what do we see here? We see a conjunction going on that the bread of heaven is given in manna, and in chapter 16 of Exodus. But this water from the rock seems to be significant as well. Because, obviously, they were thirsty. I mean, if you ever eat bread, it kind of makes you thirsty, right? But they're eating this bread from heaven, but they have nothing to drink. And here, as he's going through the events of Exodus, going through, you notice he's hitting all the highlights. And one of the highlights is certainly the bread, but the other highlight is also the water. Well, what is this water? Well, look at this in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and so he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempt, tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So we have the bread from heaven. We have the water from the rock. One precedes the other. There are two events immediately happening because this is an order of events that's going on through Exodus. This is immediately what happens. But both were provisions of God. Now, we've read this before, but I want to look at this again. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Where did we read that? We read that, that man shall not live by bread alone out of Exodus chapter 16. We read it talking about this. 
See, Jesus had just fasted for 40 days. He's hungry. So the enemy comes in and tempts him and says, hey, turn these stones into bread. You can do it. You're the Son of God. If you are Him, why can't you do this? Now, you've got 40 years in the wilderness. You've got Jesus 40 days in the wilderness. During that time frame, God brings bread from heaven. Here is Jesus saying, man doesn't live by bread alone, hearkening back again to that very same passage. Where the Israelites complained against God and missed it, Jesus gets it right. But it's the next part that gets interesting as well. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He's quoting two passages out of Psalms, out of context, just so you know. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. When did he say that? We saw it in Exodus 17 because of the water. But also in Deuteronomy 6.16, it says this, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in Massa. See, this is a direct quote here. What was Massa? Massa was the place that they called where the rock provided the water. So we see the provision of God providing naturally for these people. Spiritually, they were always the redeemed people, right? They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They were the people of God. God's chosen people were set free by that blood. But God provided what they needed naturally by the eating of the bread and the drinking of the water. There's two parts here. Now, what does that mean? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see this. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We'll explain that another time. All ate the same spiritual food. What food? Manna. All drank the same spiritual drink. What drink? The water. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So this just told me that the provision that was for the nation of Israel after they exited Egypt as they're going through the wilderness, both parts of that were Christ Himself. It says that rock that followed them, don't know how that happens, that rock was Christ. You see, He provided water for them. What kind of water? Well, it's called living water. What makes it living water? Anything in the, in the nation of Israel, it's got to either be moving water in an underground spring, it's got to be rain. What it can't be is stagnant. See, there were two parts to this. Remember, there's twice that they got water from the rock. The first time, Moses was instructed to strike the rock. The second time, Moses was to speak to the rock. But now, if that rock was Christ, what is that a picture of? You see, his body was struck the first time. How did they use the bread? They had to grind it. They had to beat it. They had to put it in, in, in those, those, what are those little things called? Uh, I can't remember the word. Mortar and, yeah, that thing. Because, you know, we all have one of those, right? And... And it would grind that thing to a pulp, and then they would make it into these wafers, these, 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 this, uh, this bread. But the water strikes the rock, water released. The second time, does Jesus need to be struck twice? He doesn't. What do you do to call on the name of the Lord? I ask. You see, it was a picture of, of salvation that Moses didn't get it right. As a result of that, he doesn't enter the promised land. So Jesus is using these two things that the Israelites got wrong. He, spiritually speaking, turns them around, gets them right. Both of these things here, we see that the rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. It was living water that was given to them. But if we look in John chapter 7, 
Starting in verse 37, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, Stop. What is the last and great day of the feast? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover. And what would happen is the priest would go down to the Pool of Siloam and he would grab two pitchers and he would fill it with living water. And he would come back up. And remember, they're waiting on Messiah to show up around Passover. And they would pour it on the altar and he says, This is the living water which is poured out for you. On the last and great day of the feast, which is the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's when they did this, Jesus shows up and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me to drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What was the living water? We, we're seeing all of this come together. So, Romans 8, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, Connecting the dots here, what are we seeing? We're seeing that the death of Jesus and the body, that spirit, that living water that's inside of us, gives life to the mortal bodies. Now, are there people alive that don't have the spirit of Christ in them? Absolutely. So what connection is being made here? It is saying this giving of life doesn't mean keeping you alive. It means keeping you well. It's that spirit, that living water. You see, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, it says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body, but shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases to each seed its own body. The context of this is talking about Jesus resurrecting. That if they're is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you're still in your sins and your faith is useless. But he's saying, when you sow something, it's not made alive unless it dies. You see, as we dig into this a little deeper, what you're going to begin to see is the connection between the body and the bread with Jesus. We're going to see that these details here, the bread from heaven, was something that Jesus said that I am the bread from heaven. He's making a connection to the manna. There's something with the breaking of that bread that brings life, and it has to do with these passages going through Act to the Exodus, is that you had the bread of life and the living water. The bread which is broken for you is what provides the living water, and that same spirit, which is the living water, is what gives life to our mortal bodies. You can't have one without the other. They're intertwined. We have the blood of the Lamb, which makes us redeemed. But the breaking of the bread, the body, is what gives us life, what makes us well. You're going to see this as we break this up a little bit more and a little bit more as we build this foundation. You guys are going to see this, that the bread here illustrating Jesus' body is the stripes that we are healed by. The breaking of the bread, the breaking of the body is what that has to do with as we go forward. I know that's a lot to take, and sometimes it's like drinking from a fire hose, but we need to get this foundation, otherwise we're never going to be able to build upon this thing to see exactly what Jesus was saying, because we see, according to Paul, 
there's a result from not the honoring of the body and the honoring of the blood. So we don't want to be that.